Misty Copeland's unlikely rise to superstardom is second to none. She defied expectations as one of the first black ballet dancers to climb to the top of a traditionally white industry. And then she transcended dance altogether, becoming an author and advocate with nearly two million Instagram followers. When the coronavirus shut down ballet companies worldwide, Copeland helped launch a fund that has raised more than $280,000 for dancers suddenly put out of work. In this episode of Influencers, Misty Copeland joins me to discuss how the performing arts are grappling with the pandemic and whether this moment of racial reckoning can bring change on and off the stage. Hello and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer and welcome to our guest, Misty Copeland, principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater, co-founder of the entertainment company Life in Motion Productions and author of the forthcoming children's book, Bunheads. Misty, nice to see you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. There's so much to talk about, um, but let's start off with the coronavirus and um, the arts and talk about ballet companies canceling their seasons, um, including yours. What has been the impact on the artistic communities, specifically ballet, um, when it comes to coronavirus? Wow, Um, you know, I feel like a lot of the impact we haven't even seen yet. (laughs) I feel like it's um, going to impact us for a couple of years to come. Um, I think more so than than anything, it's been difficult for uh, for people who spend their days, uh, spend their lives um, invested in uh, in this art form, and we're very physical people. I mean, we spend hours at a time partnering one another and in very intimate environments. So to be just yanked out of that and not have that personal human connection, I think is a bit shocking um, emotionally, psychologically. Um, But, you know, logically, just like so many people in the world, you know, dancers have been furloughed. There's there's no way of of making making money right now when the theaters are shut down. So, um, you know, it's been it's been really difficult to be confined to these small places and not be able to keep up our training, which, you know, it's the same way that any professional football player, basketball player. And I know a lot of them have training facilities in their homes and access to that. But dancers don't make that kind of money. So trying to maintain um, staying in shape and at a level to be able to kind of jump out of this whenever whenever we can is pretty impossible um, so, you know, part of my, my journey uh, during COVID has really been to try and lend my platform and my voice to be able to help dancers who are without jobs, who are struggling to keep food on the table, a roof over their head, um, through an initiative that I helped to start called Swans for Relief, um, to get funds out to different dancers from companies all over the world. So um, I think in the long run, that the dance world's going to learn from this because we've never really been pushed to have a virtual presence. Um, and I think this is kind of going to make us step up our game and be able to access more people around the world by having a, a virtual presence. Yeah. What's the path forward here, Misty, both in the short and intermediate term? Um, 
some are turning to outdoor performances, say theaters and concerts. Do, do you feel comfortable doing that? Have you done that or would you do that? I have not experienced it in this time. I have done it throughout my career. Um, I mean, I think the hard thing is finding more of those types of venues, but I do think that that's a direction that we should be headed. Just from my own experiences, some of the some of the uh, projects I'm working on with my production company, um, I've already been exploring before this pandemic hit, exploring mm -hmm. that type of performance where you're actually going into communities so that those communities feel like they're a part of it because ballet can be so um, exclusive and uh, a lot of people, especially in the black community, just don't, haven't often felt like uh, it was their world. And so I think this is a, a big window and an incredible opportunity for the dance world to be able to step up and really invite more people into our world. So I think that outdoor performances are definitely something that we should all be looking at and, and even if you can open up your window, I'm like looking out my window right here on the Upper West Side in New York City, open your window and see a performance happening down in the street, I think is unbelievable. Another facet would have to be, of course, digital. And, you know, obviously people have watched ballets on television for decades, but what about a live digital ballet? Have you considered <laughs> that as well? Yeah, I mean, that's also something that has been done before. A lot of, you know, kind of ahead of the game is, is of course, in Europe where uh, ballet, you know, started. It's a European art form. Um, but those those types of performances do happen. And I think that the difficult thing about in the United States is we have so many unions and so many regulations and rules. And I think that, again, this is an opportunity for us to step back and take a look at all of these things that are very old and very traditional, but that we need to kind of reassess um, and revamp. And I think that our digital presence um, be able to, you know, we've had discussions about having the performances that happen at the Metropolitan Opera House being, you know, shown outside of the Met in front of the fountain for people to view uh, or some way to do that. And I think that this is the time that we need to be um, really venturing in and into those spaces and, and learning how to do it and how to change all of these restrictions that in the end are only hurting us. And you mentioned Swans for Relief. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, how that started, how much money you've raised maybe, and where you've distributed specifically? Yes. Um, so it's a GoFundMe. It's on a GoFundMe page. And um, it started out with a, a mutual a dancer of mine. We both danced at American Ballet Theater. I'm still there. He's now dancing um, in Manila in the Philippines. And he came to me with this idea and asked if I would lend my my voice and my body as, you know, as a dancer um, and to just to, to bring funds to uh, his company that he dances with in the Philippines. And I thought, wow, this is an opportunity, I think, for dancers all over the globe to come together and unite. And I feel like this time has been kind of the opposite of that, especially in the United States, where I feel like we should be joining forces, different countries and really coming together and learning from what, you know, what everyone's experiencing. So um, I reached out to as many dancers, you know, it's a small community, the dance world, even dancers that are in other parts of the world. And so I just reached out to as many people that I know and other people that I thought would be an asset to the project. And everyone who I reached out to said yes. Uh, so we ended up with 32 ballerinas from 22 ballet companies from 14 countries. And these dancers came together and I thought it was really powerful 
that we didn't even have to say anything, that we were each filming ourselves in our homes, all performing the same variation. It's a very traditional, classical uh, variation. And to have to see all of us together and see, um, you know, just like that human experience and how much dance and art has always been a part of of healing and bringing people together. It's a universal language. And so um, we have gone a little bit past our uh, the halfway point of our goal, um, which is 500,000. Um, and we're still pushing, of course, you know, it's so difficult when you're, you know, with Black Lives Matter and just kind of being respectful to, you know, just what everyone's going through. And um, so it's been difficult to kind of balance all of those things and putting a pause on that. Um, you know, with my own personal experiences of what's going on in the world in the Black community. But um, I think we have one more push in us just to, to get some more funds. But I think any any little bit is going to go a long way for all of these companies across the world. You mentioned Black Lives Matter. I want to get to that in a second. But first, um, what about the stimulus checks and unemployment insurance? Have have that Has that made a difference to dancers? And do you think that there should be another round of stimulus for those? Um, dancers are really struggling. I, I I don't think that it has been that that useful, especially, you know, in the United States, we have a lot of foreigners that come from other countries that are dancing with American Ballet Theater. I'd say we were probably the most culturally diverse company in the world. So a lot of these dancers can't even claim or get any of that money. Um, but the dancers that can, uh, you know, when, when, you know, a lot of these major companies, we live in, you know, some of the most expensive cities in the world. Uh, and so a lot of the dancers have had to, you know, leave the city, go back to their families or homes or back to their countries. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that this kind of is a, is a bigger picture, but just, you know, having just more arts funding period and having ways to distribute that in, in, in a way that I think dancers and artists have never really seen. Um, you know, that's what I'm constantly pushing for is changing the narrative of how dancers are seen, giving them opportunities like any professional athlete has, you know, to have endorsement deals and just to be um, treated as, you know, any other artist is um, in, especially in a, uh, you know, high art form. I wanna shift gears a little bit and ask you about the racial justice protests what was your reaction or your reaction present tense to uh, the protests in the wake of the killing of George Floyd and others? And, and why do you think it resonated with so many people, black Americans, but white Americans, too? I think that there was there's no way to uh, to prepare or to. Um, recreate something like this. I think that it was just literally the perfect storm of people feeling frustrated, of people being home because of COVID-19, and then to have to be forced to deal with what so many people can easily um, close their eyes to. And, you know, I, I think most Black people would say that the, the same question, like, why now? Why are people now seeing it? This isn't the first time. This won't be the last time. Um, and I really think that it was just the, these powers that came together at the, at the right time. But, um, you know, I, for me, it's the first time as uh, in my position that I feel like I'm truly being heard. And to me, that's a step. You know, this has been my life's work as a dancer speaking about racism in the world and in ballet, speaking about the lack of diversity um, and to have 
you know, my my company to have the ballet world listening and and to have different panels and to be able to speak about this in a way that I have before. But again, for the first time, people are really seeing it. And I think that that's what's different about this time is that I feel like we have true allies in people from other communities and races that we've not had before. You recently uh, retweeted an open letter to the Harvard Crimson that called the ballet industry laughably behind on racial justice. So how big a problem, Misty, (laughs) is racial injustice in that community? How can it be addressed? Yeah, I mean, I think by taking this opportunity when the world is it our eyes are wide open and and people are listening um you know it's something that the ballet world has been very easily um able to just kind of get away with um you know it's something that i've i've talked about very openly and freely um in trying to be the most respectful as I can because I know the deep-rooted traditions and history in classical dance, and especially, again, it being a European art form and the fact that we still perform those ballets that were created in that time in Europe to this day, um, you know, also just says a lot about where we are in the ballet world when it comes to racism. Um, but I, I think that we are extremely behind. But again, the more that you, you shine that light on the ballet community, the more they're going to be forced to have to address it. And again, I feel like this is the first time that we are actually addressing it in the ballet community. I mean, blackface is still used in ballet, and you've been critical of that. Why do you think it's remained a part of ballet and it's unacceptable in other forms in American society? Yeah, I mean, that's the small, like, odd difference with the ballet world. And, um, you know, there there are companies in other countries, like, for instance, the Bolshoi, in in Russia. And, you know, their reasoning is that that's not their history. So it doesn't have the same meaning to them. And it's like, well, this, the ballet, ballet is all over the world. You can go on YouTube and you can watch the Bolshoi ballet and see that. So it's not solely isolated, like maybe it once was. And if you want to keep the art form alive and relevant and growing, you're going to have to open your doors to everyone. And, um, you know, and all I can do is is point it out and say that these things need to change because you are, you know, kind of neglecting an entire community or hurting an entire community. Why would they want to pay for a ticket and come into the theater when they're going to be disrespected on the stage? Misty, as a celebrity, what do you think your role is, or maybe even your obligation, to advocate for change in terms of racial justice? Um, You know, it's something that I feel like I've taken on solely, you know, by myself, because I felt that it was my responsibility. It was never something that was put on me, and I don't think that it's everyone's um, position or that everyone feels comfortable uh, speaking out, you know, I initially I got into ballet because it's a silent art form and I was so introverted and I didn't want to speak. I wanted to express myself through movement. But, you know, it got to a certain point after well, before this. But, you know, the first decade of my career, I was the only black woman in American ballet theater. And I just felt this sense of panic that was like, am I ever going to see another black woman in this company with me or in my lifetime? And this is an opportunity for 
to take advantage that I felt I saw myself as more than a dancer, that this was an opportunity for me to hopefully make change for the next generation to carry on stories of dancers whose names so many people don't know because they didn't have the opportunities that I have or you know, the black black ballet history dancers, our histories are so often just kind of erased and lost. And that's also um, one of my missions is to tell so many of those stories. A few years ago, you criticized then CEO of Under Armour, Kevin Plank, about comments he made about President Trump. Was that difficult to do? I mean, given that you're an Under Armour athlete and and, and what made you make that kind of call? You know, I, I, um, yes, it, it was, it was difficult in that I wanted to do it in the most respectful way. You know, I, I had spoken to Kevin Plank, you know, before releasing my statement, hearing, you know, his intent and what he had to say. So it was never, you know, an attack, you know, I feel like every thing that I approach, it's to open a dialogue. It's to, it's to, um, to have a conversation and it's not just to kind of attack one-sided. Uh, I wanted to, you know, make it clear coming from me as a black athlete, um, you know, that was a, was an ambassador, a, an athlete for Under Armour that I don't have those same beliefs as our president. And, and separating it in that way rather than just putting down Kevin Plank or saying that, you know, we can't coexist because we have different ideas. Um, but just to really separate myself from anything that I just don't stand for. Right. Is, is it difficult to sort of make this call where the head of an organization supports Trump and yet maybe use their products or somehow interact with that company organization? It's such a hard balance, you know. I I had already been with Under Armour for years, you know, when when that happened. Um, but I'm very cognizant of all of the brands that I'm a part of. You know, it it has to really align with who I am, and 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 you know, if I'm if I'm walking the walk, I need to talk the talk. And if I'm attached to a brand, it's not going to just to be seen. It's not going to be because I want to make money. It's going to be because I think it will make a difference. It, I think it will bring value to more people. It'll include more people. So it was a very difficult and unusual position to be in, in the midst of already been, having been an athlete for Under Armour. But I feel like, um, you know, even, you know, Stephen Curry and myself spoke and, you know, kind of came together on our feelings about moving forward with Under Armour and what we felt Under Armour really stood for and um, and that, you, you know, we could coexist with different ideals. I don't know if you ever think about or get involved in anything like boycotting Goya beans over CEO's comments on, on Trump's. I don't know if that's something that, that resonates with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see it all. I, I, I hear it all. Um, but you know, I, I do my best to, um, to really stay in, I don't want to say stay in my lane because that sounds like I'm like, you know, just mm. not, not open enough to be able to be free. But I think in, in using my voice in a way that I think it will be most powerful. So I'm not just kind of putting my, my two cents into every everything that comes out there that's political, but really that I think I could have a true impact on and that really makes sense for me and means something to me. 
I want to go back to ballet and then ask you a little bit about some of your non-ballet pursuits. Um, what direction is your artistic thinking taking you towards these days? What are you interested in artistically, number one? And number two, are there already COVID-influenced um, works out there? Hmm. Um, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like a lot of a lot of the work I've been doing in the past year or two is even more relevant than than it uh, was then. It is now. Um, I think that uh, artists have a way of kind of like feeling out things that are going. You know, they have a, a pulse on what's happening with humanity and and in the world. And so I feel like we're often kind of ahead of the ahead of the you know the 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 game when it comes to creative concepts um, artistically, but. Uh, you know, I've naturally, I've had a lot of opportunities throughout my professional career, but they're all connected to ballet and to dance in some way. And that's definitely where I'm still headed. You know, I have, I think, six books in the works right now, new books um, to add to my list. Um, you know, with, with the production company, a lot of the, the, the goal of, you know, what we want to do with Life in Motion is to tell the stories of black and brown women to tell the stories of like people that don't have a voice or aren't often heard and to do it in a beautiful and artistic way. And I think that the arts are a way to bring people together from all parties, you know, political parties and, um, and to be able to do it through a way that people can interpret things and take away something bigger than one side or the other. So in the, in a pre-COVID or I hope post-COVID world, Misty Copeland's life is what ABT and Life in Motion, and how do you divide things up? And then, what exactly are you doing with Life in Motion? Yeah, it's a lot, and I feel like it's been my my career for like the past ten years, so it's not really that new. Um, I think, if anything, I'm I'm. The time with American Ballet Theater is spent doing things that I feel like I'm really excited and motivated to do. You know, I'm approaching my 20th season with the company, so I've done a lot of the rep over and over and over again. So now I'm at a, at a place where, you know, when I'm on stage, I want it to be really impactful and I want it to be something that inspires me as well as others. And then to use my time, you know, making works that I'm excited to dance in that are created on me. Um, but yes, it is split between just balancing. I mean, it's, it's my poor manager. She's the one who balances my schedule and has to make it all work. But, you know, it's a lot of sacrifice. Um, and with COVID-19, I feel like it's been a moment for me to just step back for the first time in my whole career mm -hmm. and not be dancing every day and to open up my mind and expand my artistic, you know, creativity you know, in different ways, reading scripts, writing scripts, just talking to people about ideas, coming up with concepts, working on books. So um, it's really hard to predict what it will be like coming out of this, but it's going to be a balance of all of those things still. Right. And so so life in motion, though, you use that to create books or or um, artistic pieces, ballet works or what exactly what forms is your are your work taking? Yes, it's film and television. Mm -hmm. 
there's, you know, we also have different concepts to do more, um, you know, whether it's not YouTube in particular, that platform, but, um, but online in that way where, you know, whether it's creating a PSA, um, it's something like a Swans for Relief, uh, you know, eventually we may want to produce, uh, you know, like curating actual live performances, not necessarily all attached to ballet, but it could be just a collaboration of artists coming together. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not at this, not at this point, it's not live, live performance. So right now we're, we're really just focused on, on film and television, unscripted and scripted. And you're looking to create art that reaches socioeconomic groups that might otherwise not be involved in the arts. Why is that important to you? Absolutely. I mean, just from my own experience, I'm in a will have been in a position my entire 20 years professionally um, of kind of representing people that are voiceless, not just because I'm black, because I'm a woman, because dancers are often not even given a voice. You know, we're, we're told to shut up and dance. And that and that's how a lot of people see and view um, athletes. And so I feel like it's an opportunity to give give life to so many voices that need to be heard and that can change people's lives. You know, I feel like if I didn't have a chance and a platform to speak on, so many people wouldn't connect to my story and understand the journey I've been on and how how relatable it is to so many people. How involved do you get or would you get in politics? <laughs> you actively support someone or endorse someone? Have you thought about that? Or maybe you've already done it. No, I definitely try and stay away <laughs> from, you know, I think that I'm, I'm already under a microscope and put myself out there uh, for so much scrutiny, but I do it because it's something I truly, truly believe in. And I think that there are ways of, um, of helping and, you know, whether it's getting people to vote, whether it's giving a voice, you know, to dancers to inspire them that they, their presence and the importance of art can influence so many people in this time in, in politics. And so I, I think that, you know, I definitely feel that it's important to know what's happening. Um, but I feel like there are other ways that I can do it to influence, you know, in that arena. Do you look to mentor young uh, ballet students, young girls, young boys, and what do you say to them? How do you inspire them? You know, I, I really try and um, listen. I feel like that's a, a hard thing for a lot of a lot of young people to feel that um, that you know whether it's mentors or people they look up to or adults that they really are listening to them and hearing them, um, and then just encouraging them to to believe in themselves. I mean, that's like an obvious one, but to, to understand the power of their voices, um, to understand the power of being an individual. I think, especially in this day and age with social media, that everyone just wants to fit in and be the same and look like the person next to them and get the most followers and likes. And, and something that I'm constantly, you know, saying is that it's so much more, beautiful and unique to be an individual and um and to just own that power i mean i feel like it's everything that i've stood for um you know entering into a world where i was seen as not right um just not the right fit not the right body not the right skin color and that i've succeeded i go to lincoln center and to the opera the symphony and the ballet carnegie hall as well and the audience is 
a lot like me, Misty, older people. And we've all talked for so many decades about trying to crack through and, and make it more appealing, all these art forms appealing to younger people. Have we made any inroads and what can be done there, do you think? I mean, I guess it was, gosh, I don't know how many, maybe like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago now that I saw a huge shift at least in the audiences that are coming to American Ballet Theater's performances. Um, you know, the first performance I ever did of The Firebird at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York City was the first time, I think, ever that we had seen the Metropolitan Opera House more than half full of black and brown people and young people, like babies, little, like, you know, three and four-year-olds are sitting through an entire evening. So um, I think that once you open the door and you show people that they can be a part of this, um, that you start to change the audience when you make them feel welcome and you feel they feel represented but I think we have we have a responsibility to keep it up. It's not just one person that can that does that, and it you know it's something that you have to continue to nurture. But I do have faith that it's that it's possible. But you know it takes more than one person to do it. Missy Copeland, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Andy Serwer. You've been watching Influencers. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Surwer. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Surwer.